Waiting is one state of being. Some kinds of waiting we no longer experience. Waiting for that song you love to come on the radio, your fingers poised over play and record so that you can get it at just the precise moment on the tape deck. Waiting for a a television show or a radio show to come on at a particular time on a particular station. And if you didn't see it or hear it, you missed it. Other types of waiting are still familiar. The dreadful jazzy Muzak played while you're on hold with the bank. Days, sometimes weeks, of waiting for the results of a medical test to appear in the portal for your physician or to come in the mail. Waiting for God, preparing for God, just as the bridesmaids were, so too are we. As we draw near to the end of our liturgical year, our readings become more violent, stark as we approach Advent. And Amos and Matthew offer us a strong message about preparedness and the need for our interior lives to cohere with the exterior, for our worship of God and our righteous acts in the world to inform one another. Today, we're reminded that being prepared in our heart and in the world are marks of faithful discipleship. The pericope we heard this morning, the passage from Matthew's gospel, illuminates the act of waiting. Waiting for the delayed arrival of the return of God. Now, perhaps it might be helpful for us to understand something of the first century wedding customs that were being described. Guests would have assembled at the house of the bride. They would wait there until the bridegroom approached, and then all of them together, all the bridesmaids, the bridegroom, they would light torches, they would go out to greet him, and in a procession, they would go to the groom's house. And there the wedding ceremony would take place, and a festive multi-day banquet would follow. There were no street lights in these days, so the bridesmaids really had a very important role. Light the way to the feast. The wise, we're told, came prepared with extra flasks of oil. The foolish did not. And so when the bridegroom was announced, they were out trying to find lamp oil from the first century equivalent of the 7-Eleven. And they missed the bridegroom. 
even when they tried to subsequently enter the feast, they were kept out, unrecognized. From the parable, what are we to extrapolate that the kingdom of heaven will be like? What are we to learn about discipleship from the bridesmaids? We can gather that we are supposed to be like the wise rather than the foolish bridesmaids. I think it could be easy for us to hear the admonition, keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour, and assume that we should be in a perpetual state of preparation, a a frenzied stockpiling of canned goods, this never resting, always on edge, waiting for God's return, though, cannot be true. For we're told that all ten of the bridesmaids, the wise and the foolish both, were able to sleep at night, to relax and rest. The distinctive act of the wise virgins was in their preparedness. They bring extra oil, and that allowed them to wait faithfully and to be ready when the bridegroom arrived. So what is this preparedness, this extra flask of oil? I wonder if it is not the habits of our heart as well as our actions in the world. At least that seems to be some of what the prophet Amos suggests. The prophet Amos, whom we heard read this morning, was a shepherd from Tekoa, and he reflected back to those who were listening to him around 755 BCE some hard truths. Worship without connection in the world of righteousness is despicable. It is as if you reached for the wall in your home and were bitten by a venomous snake. Amos' shocking language reminds us that what we do here in worship, what we share corporately and liturgically, informs the landscape of the world. Liturgy and music inform our works of justice and mercy. Think of our worship as not what we do here only, but what we do out in the world as part of our liturgical practice, characterized by righteousness, the quality of life lived in right relationship one with another. The connection between worship and justice matters so much to God that it's described not as a pleasant stream, but as a forceful, overflowing torrent that knocks your feet from under you. Preparedness, that to which God is calling us, is connecting our worship with righteousness in the world. And the wise and the foolish bridesmaids 
remind us that we cannot outsource our Christian lives. We cannot hope that a lack of discipline will somehow cause the scriptures to be written on our hearts when our own words fail us. We cannot expect to learn righteous action without training our hearts and minds and bodies to follow from the altar rail out into the world. Surely preparedness is not passive waiting. Preparedness is contemplative action. The extra flask of oil. Preparedness looks like the lives of those whose names are known and unknown. Preparedness looks like the life of Miss Doris Cotton, whose homegoing we celebrated earlier this week at St. Paul AME. You might have known Miss Doris here as a faithful housekeeper over decades, or you might have known her out in the community as she fostered connectedness in her neighborhood and between her neighborhood and parish and ours in a time before African, the African-American part of Chapel Hill had paved streets. She was pastor and parent to many, those biological and chosen. She lived a quiet, unassuming life in a faithful way, and the fruit of her life's practice was borne out with such clarity that Jesus was her Savior. Preparedness looks like visiting a parishioner this week in the bowels of Memorial Hospital. A food worker brought in a tray of items that are only appetizing if you have not been able to eat for some time. A cup of broth, a cup of jello. And as he set the tray down before her and scanned her wrist bracelet, confirming the delivery, he greeted each of us with a joy that was palpable. And he said something to the effect of, I'm serving my Lord, you see, in everything that I do. I'm preparing to one day meet Jesus. His very actions, a manifestation of that truth, that preparedness. Early in chapter 5 of Amos, we hear the admonition that may be familiar, seek God and live. The verb here is darash, and it connotes a journey seeking truth, seeking with your heart and your hands and your face and your feet, your whole self. Let us seek God in such an encompassing way that we are prepared in our waiting. Let us seek God. God and live.
with our lamps trimmed and burning. Amen. The Chapel of the Cross is an Episcopal church in the heart of Chapel Hill and the university community. Find out more at thechapelofthecross.org. There you can find our latest news and events, connect with our pastoral care team, Faith in Action Ministries, and offer a prayer request. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram at The Chapel of the Cross, and on Facebook and Twitter at C-O-T-C, Chapel Hill. May you be nourished by the word to serve in the world.